Today, I want to share with you a word that's close to my heart. And if I can title it, it's when Christ moved into the neighborhood. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word cannot return void, but it must accomplish what it's sent forth to do. I thank you, Lord, for this precious group of people. Beautiful. Those online, and my mom even watching. Bless her. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this season, this moment that we are together. Lord, I pray that you will help translate the African dialect into Cajun. And Lord, I pray that your anointing will fall on each one in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, there's no subtitles as I preach. And some of you will say, what is he saying? Uh, I have an American son that spoke American. Um, I'm, I'm speaking African. So, uh, but I'm so glad to be with you. So I read a book of uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, the person who paraphrased the Bible into the message. And it's a wonderful, he's with the, with the Lord now, and he wrote, wrote this book, and it really touched my heart. It has a story that I can relate to so much. And it talks about growing up in a small town, and not a lot of things happen, especially over the summertime. So there was not a lot of things happening. He and his friends, friends played, and they got tired of playing together, and there was not a lot of things. But, and, and when people moved, normally people moved with their pickup trucks from one side of the little town to the other side. But there was seldom any removal trucks, one of those big trucks coming in and uh, into the, the little suburb town. But as, as it happened, there was a house that was standing empty for, for years. And Eugene Peterson talks about this story when he's about 10 years old and in a small Montana town where he grew up, a moving truck rolled into the street and stopped at the rice, house right next to them. And that house has been empty, like I said, for several months. And so this is his story. He said, my friends and I were thoroughly bored, having exhausted the resources uh, of, for play and entertainment through the vacation months. And they thought, let's see who's the new neighbors. So, so it was first the moving truck that came in, and, and not the people. And it took about three days of unpacking this truck. And this is his story. He said, it was a North American van line vehicle, majestic in red, white, and blue logo. And the huge truck, half a block long. It was the first time he saw a moving truck like that coming into their neighborhood. And, and when he saw it, they started to try and discover who's moving in. And this is what he saw. He saw, he saw the when they started to unpack this truck, he was trying to figure out who is this people moving into this, this house. And they said the first thing that came off was two bicycles. And they were so excited because bicycles meant children, new friends to play with. And then the second thing was a motorcycle. And he just imagined him on the back of this motorcycle getting a ride, Going through the suburb, it's just like things are happening right now. And then every item that got off of that truck, they stayed in awe. Who is moving in? But then there was an immense plate 
glass mirror that appeared. And when they saw this glass mirror appearing, they knew this must be very wealthy people. And when wealthy people move into this neighborhood, the whole neighborhood is changing. Suddenly, just being a backdrop Montana little neighborhood, it became a rich neighborhood because the neighbors who moved in, they have this mirror case, which is amazing. And when they finally met the neighbors, was Mrs. and Mr. Tipton. And the teenage children, Billy and Cynthia, was there. And they had two expensive Chrysler New York Sport license plates, cars. And they just knew their life changed. Rich people moved into the neighborhood. They are not backward anymore. They're not hillbillies. They're not. They have just been upgraded with these people moving into the neighborhood. And they couldn't wait for what's happening next. When I grew up, I had the privilege of, and I think it's a privilege, of moving 19 times before I finished school. My, my father was working for the mines, and we had to relocate several times. And so I was in, I think, six schools. That's why we decided to homeschool our children. It's just easier. Um, it's just like, if, if we're going to move like I moved, it's just easier. Just let them homeschool. So I moved so, so many times, and it helped me. It wasn't bad. But I understand moving. And my, my dad always said, if you have a box and it stays longer than three days and you don't unpack it, it's going to stay there for life. You need to, when you move, unpack that box immediately. Now, when the Apostle John writes the letter or the epistle of John, he talks about a moving in. And let me read the scripture. In John 1:14, in the message, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind of glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from the start to the finish. He saw, and he's describing in Eugene Peterson's understanding of something happened in his neighborhood as a 10-year-old boy. When he started to read the Bible, read when the Word became flesh and lived among us, it became something like this. God moved into the neighborhood. The experience that you might have had or you might have right now with God for this season, three years after COVID, after lockdown, things happening, it's the season for this area where God wants to use you to unpack His glory and let it move into your neighborhoods. He wants you to usher in the special anointing, His special power, His special abilities inside of you that when you move into your workplace, into your suburb, into your school, into the place where you're living, that the people around you must know we are rich. Everything's changed because love moved into the neighborhood. When, when I think about the word love, and I think about what my experience of that was, 
I always thought about love being a little bit like when you see Valentine's everywhere I came in. It's like uh, it's, everything's decorated from the airports right now in America with Valentine's things. And um, when I thought about love, I don't thought that it's a powerful thing. I mean, love is fantastic, but it's not like a force. It's, it's not like when you look at the Lion King where the hyenas goes like shivering like Mufasa. You know when you think love is like, love is in the air? It's not like Mufasa, it's like a shivering thing. But when I look at John, and when we read about Apostle John as the apostle of love, I thought there must have been something significant in his life that brought change. And it reminds me of the quote, one of Julian's favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, who wrote... In the book, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, he has this quote. When Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the lion, the ruler of, As- of Narnia, is a great lion. And this is what Susan says. Susan's surprised since she assumed that Aslan was a man. And she tells Mr. Beaver, I rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. And she asks Mr. Beaver, if Aslan is safe, to which Mr. Beaver answers her, safe? Who can say anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but it's good and he's a king. Amen. When we abide in Christ's love, three things I want to drop in your hearts today is I want to ignite that we need to know him more intimately, that Christ's love is more than an emotion or feeling. And Christ's love is a powerful force. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13 in the New American Standard, it says, but now faith, hope, and love remain. But the, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Again, like I said, I felt when I heard love, not, I didn't see it as a powerful force. When you talk about faith, man, you just introduced me like that, Pastor Josh introduced me as a man of faith. To see the impossible and see that clues from heaven where God can move things. Hope, Abram, Father Abram, were hoped against hope. But love, it always bothered me when I read 1 Corinthians 13. It's like, I like the strong chapters, 12 and 14. But the love thing is like a great Valentine's card, a love letter. That's not really the chapter I want to park in. And God had to move in my heart to discover his love more intimately. In John 15, verse 9 to 11, Jesus talks, and again out of the message to his disciples, he says, I loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands and you remain intimately at home in my love, that's what I've done. Kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and your joy wholly mature. 
The Apostle John, who writes this epistle in the gospel, is called the beloved disciple. And you might have seen or heard this story when John is, is so intimate in friendship with Jesus that it even seems a little bit weird. Because he, he puts his head on Jesus' shoulder. Now, I love you guys. But I know I hug you. It's fine. But my head going on your shoulder, you know, that's not really me. I really love you. I love you guys. I really think God is on you. But um, I'm not a head on the shoulder guy. With, with, I mean, Pastor Stephen, I love you, but it's a little bit weird. You know? so, so when I think about John, okay, it's fine. I know some people love to park in that part of the chapter. For me, I skip it and go to, to Acts and fire and, you know, angel kills 300,000 people. That's more my type of brave heart, gladiator type of love. You know, like, Lord, thank you for sending one of those angels. In, in John 15, in the verse translation, it says, Just as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Remain within this sphere of love, which is mine. The second thing that I saw is this, Christ's love is more than an emotional feeling. G.K. Chesterton said the following, love is not blind, that's the last thing it is. Love is bound, and the more it's bound, the less it's blind. So John is described when you get introduced to John and his family as a very abrupt wild guy. His father's surname is actually the son of thunder. His mom is, he doesn't know her place. Well, bless you, when she listened to this message, I will love you, ma'am. But, um, but you, did, you were a bit rude. Because when she met with Jesus and said, Lord, I want to ask you something. I want you to have a place for each one of my sons at your right and left side. At the throne of God. And he said to her, you, you don't know what you're asking. She was, she was wild. John was the son of thunder. There was a, was a season when, when they, it was, they were opposed. And this is what John said in Luke 9 verse 54. It says, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said to the Lord, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? When John and James wanted to call the fire from heaven to punish the Samaritan towns that did not accept Jesus. But John changed in character and is so transformed as a son of thunder as an abrupt guy who wants to call the fire from heaven to destroy a town, to be called the beloved disciple. What does it change? How can it be so forceful that somebody that's coming from such, such a family that doesn't know their place comes to a place where the Bible calls him the beloved disciple? I mean, he was not a soft guy. He was not a, he, he was strong. 
But something happened on the inside when God moved into his life. In 1 John 4, verse 16, he writes, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. In John 15, verse 9 and 19, in the verse that says, But I've called you friends, because of all things I've heard from my Father I made known to you. You did not make me the object of your choice for yourselves, but I've selected you out for myself, Jesus speaking. I've appointed you in order that you might be going away and constantly bearing fruit, and that your fruit might be remaining in order whatever you might ask the Father in my name, you may give it to you. These things I'm enjoying upon you, namely that you should be loving one another with a divine and self-sacrificial love. When we see Jesus, we hear, we see this picture of him washing his feet, the feet of his disciples. And we see this model of Jesus coming and he's serving his disciples in such a way that we know today we, we have a term in leadership called servant leadership. Now the reason why he washed their feet, and I know some people like the washing of feet thing, I'm not a feet guy. So if you want to bless me, give me altoids, not washing of feet. I'm not doing that, okay? So no shoulder hugging thing and no washing of feet. That's fine. I bless you, you can keep that gift, but altoids is fine. But the burning ones, like, like cinnamon that can burn. Jesus took on the role of a servant And he served by doing a job that the servants did. So, so people walked at that time. They didn't have cars or planes in Jesus' time. Well, sorry if that's a shock for you, but they didn't have anything like that. No vehicles. Um, and so they walked. And so when they entered into a house, if the house was, the owner was well off, part of the courtesy was for them to wash the people's feet. So that, because it was dusty, it was full of dirt and all the oogie type of things. And he washed their feet and he served them that way. So, so this week you, you're starting life groups. What we have here in rows is amazing. Having a row relationship, sitting and seeing somebody else's back of their head, it's It's fantastic. But you cannot grow without having a circle relationship. You cannot grow without accountability. You cannot grow without seeing somebody else's face. And whatever you need to do is to grow and change and be transformed in the likeness of God, you need to make a commitment that this year, I'm going to invite accountability. I'm going to invite life in a group. I cannot just have a row relationship. 
I need to have a circle relationship. One of my favorite books in the Bible is Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, we read about how we can invite God more intimately in our hearts, in our lives. And in an amplified classic translation, it says the following, may Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, and make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and found securely on love. Now this is a, it's like a clue. It says, may Christ, may you experience that it actually comes to dwell, settle down, and abide and make his permanent home in your houses. Now, I have the privilege by visiting many of you, that many of you will invite me into your homes. But there's a place where you invite me to, maybe the living room or maybe the kitchen. And I will come in and you will offer me something to drink, coffee, water, but there's a part of the house that's not open. Unless I'm sleeping the night in your house. So I can go, I can use your restroom, I can even, might even be able to use part of the kitchen. But then there's most probably a door that's closed. But if I come and stay for a night or two in your house, you will show me your room, the room that I can go into, and you will give me, this is your bed, there's a restroom, here's a towel. But I won't be invited into the rest of the house. But if I come and live with you, like a child, like a family member, there's not really rooms that's off limit. When you invite God, is He coming to visit you? Or are you visiting Him? And He said, Lord, we love you, we worship you. Come and sit. You have water? Coffee? Oh Lord, we, we're so thankful to have you here. Or, or are you allowing Him maybe, Lord, here's a special room for you. But it's part of your house and part of your life that's still locked out. He's not welcome to go with you on the internet. He's not welcome to see how you spend things. He's not welcome to talk how you speak to other people. I had a friend, and who's now with Jesus, Dr. Don Norai. I think he ministered here once or twice. And he was the publisher of Destiny Image. And one of the books he published was of Tommy Tenney. And uh, there's a story which actually is about Dr. Don. Don was a well-built man. And not a lot of chairs could hold him. And Tommy Tenney writes about this story about a friend coming to visit their friends. But he has broken many chairs because of his weight. And so every time when he comes to visit his friends, 
he, he's, he feels so embarrassed. And then sometimes he would just sit in the car and stop at a friend's house. And he longs to go in. They think he cannot go. Because he cannot afford to break another chair. And sometimes he will knock. And will, they will open the door. And he will glare and glance into the house. And he will look. That they change chairs. Is there a chair that can carry his weight? The glory of God in the Hebrew is called chabot, weightiness. Is there a chair that you prepared and you're willing to pay this year for God's presence to come in that can carry his weight? Is he welcome to come and stay? Because if he's welcome to come and stay, this is what the prayer of Ephesians says. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of the love. What is the breadth, the length, the height and the depth of it. That you really may come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ. Which far surpasses Mere knowledge without experience that you may be filled through all of your being unto the fullness of God. And may the richest measure of his divine presence and become a body holy, filled and flooded with God himself. Christ's love is a powerful force. Have you heard the term about Hysterical love. Hysterical love. This is a term that you can search. There's a story of a grandma who's, who, saw the child, who saw a car, a vehicle falling on her grandson. And he was working under the car and the car, the vehicle crashed him. And the story is this, that she actually... Pulled the car up on her own, the grandma. Pulled the son out. The car was waiting, weighing, and that's in kilograms, 1,700 kilograms. I'm not sure how much pounds that is. It's about 3,500, 4,000 pounds. It would have taken 10 people to lift the vehicle. But love moved like a force. Martin Luther King, we just celebrated Martin Luther King Day. The darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do it. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do it. In South Africa, we have a thing that the government installed for us to bring us more closely together. It's called load shedding. Load shedding is when we don't have power for between 8 and 14 hours a day different times. We don't have electricity. So we just have to have close fellowship because we can't see. We, we, we are moved by candlelight a lot. Uh, it's, it's challenging. And people will ask me, what is the main reason? And the main reason is corruption. Corrupt people whose hearts did not change. 
and the church not being the church and becoming a place for Sundays but not impacting our weeks. I'm, I'm finishing my research, um, I'm doing a PhD and I'm close to finish that the next month or two. And my study field is, is leadership. And I read the following that two-thirds of all commencement speeches at colleges and high schools at universities have the following theme on, go help others. That, that last minute when it's school year ends and whoever's speaking, the class president, the, the school principal, whoever's speaking saying, what you've learned now, you need to take and you need to go and help others. In South Africa, we had what we call Zondo Commission. It was our chief justice of the, our Supreme Court. We call it the Constitutional Court. His name is called uh, Richard Zondo. Judge Zondo. And when he grew up, he grew up in KwaZulu-Natal, a poor area, a rural area. And uh, his dad passed. And his mom was a nurse. And he was doing brilliantly at school. But he was the oldest child. And the custom is in, in that part of South Africa is if you're the oldest child, you are supposed to go and work. You can't finish school. You need to provide for the family. And Judge Zondo, before he was judge, he, um, he did well at school. And he got a scholarship. He could actually study. And his mom lost her work. And they, the whole tribal route and people said, well, you need to go and work now and provide for the family. And he begged them and said, please let me finish school. He said, okay, finish school. And his mom knitted things and sold things and kept the family alive. And after finishing high school, he did so well that he earned a scholarship to go and study at the university. But everybody said, it's time, you need to go and study. You need to go and work to provide for the family. And he made a plan. He went to a local Muslim businessman. And he says, he didn't know him from, from nowhere. He went to him and he said, um, Sir, I want you to give me a loan. I will pay you back every cent and interest. But I want you to give me a loan. Because if you can help me, to help my family, to support my family while I'm gone, I will pay it back. And the business owner had a cash and carry, a big type of distributing of food stuff. And he said, no, I'm not going to give you a loan. I will give you a voucher. Vouchers, your mom can come every month and get some food stuff and what she needs. And after three years finishing his legal degree, he went back to the businessman he so said, here I am, I want to make an arrangement to pay. And the businessman said to him, no, you don't need to pay anything. Go help others. Judge Zondo single-handedly exposed the corruption that we were paralyzed in South Africa. Because of a businessman that was willing to say, Go help others. 
we as a church are not called to be spectators. We are called to be participators. We are called to bring change in our society. We cannot just be a church that's cool. We are called to bring life. The economy, the, the country needs to change because of the life that God has brought in us through relationships. We cannot wait for a Sunday experience and bring people for a Sunday experience if we don't have a Monday to Sunday experience. In John 14, 23, message says, because a loveless world, Jesus said, is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will be carefully keep my word. And my father will love him. And we'll move right into the neighborhood. God wants to use you this year. God wants to bring these miracles in your life. He wants to change you from a son of thunder to a carrier of hope. For many people, you will be the only church that they experience. The whole earth is waiting expectation for you to show up. John, the disciple, died on an island Patmos after he wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. But he had certain disciples. And one of these disciples' name was Polycarp. And Polycarp was a bishop of Smyrna, one of the churches. One, actually, where Ephesians as a church function. And, and Christians in that time, when you got saved... You were persecuted and you went to the Colosseum and you were, you were threatened and your family was destroyed. Polycarp, at age 86, was captured because they were so cross at him because so many people got saved and lives changed. They caught him and they said to him, You have to renounce Jesus Christ. And then you live. You're 86 years old. It's not worth it. Dying for a man you don't know. These were his words. 86, I've been his servant. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And the story goes like this. He was put on a, a fire, um, a staple of fire, a burning stake. And uh, they wanted to bound him. And he said, no, don't bound me. And the story goes like this. is like before they wanted to start the fire, 
he saw there's a young boy who didn't have shoes and he took off his shoes and gave it to him. And the captain of the guard begged him to renounce Jesus. And they started the fire, the stake. And the story goes like this, that it encircled him but did not touch him. And one of the guards got so cross, he took his spear and he pierced him and he died. The very next martyr for the following day was the captain of the guard. Who said, this Jesus, I want to follow and serve. The very sacrifice you're willing to make to lay down your life to go further than anybody before. Yeah. To be carriers of hope yeah. in a hopeless world. Yeah. Can bring life and abundance to a very dark world. God has not called you to be comfortable. Yeah. He's called you to bring change and transformation. And to be transformed from the inside out where the love of God touches you so much that your family character from burning other people becomes to a place where your disciples are willing to be burned because of the love of Christ. O.C. Jennings, you're a phenomenal church. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for empowering us in South Africa when many times we don't know what next. Thank you for helping us. Some of you need to take this long bus ride, 16 hours, and travel day and night and come and visit us. We will not feed you to lions. We will let you touch lions. <laughs> but then you need to come with hope. So go get your passports. Yeah. Because God can't give you a plane ticket if you don't have a passport. So you start with that. And then you say, I sign up. I'm one of the, on the next mission trip. And you come, or you go into the local community, and you carry a life of hope with an expectation when love moves into the neighborhood, everything changes. Let's pray. Oh, I thank you for this beautiful church. Thank you for everyone watching online. Oh, I just pray right now for your healing hand upon their lives. A desperateness for families to come together. A desperateness to see God's hand upon people. Lord, we invite your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you can change the son of thunder to a beloved disciple. Someone who wants to send fire to one that can release fire. Lord, we thank you that we can be those people that you've called into dark, desperate communities to be the light carriers, to bring the change in Jesus' name. And that's what I want to pray for you today. If you want to be a candidate 
carry his light and his love in this year. This is not just, I need you to raise your hand. I need to have a certain amount of likes and then it will allow me back in South Africa. You know, like social media likes, followers. Well, I do need 15 of you to go and like our ENFC online YouTube channel because then we have a 1,000 people following that. So ENFC online, A-N-F-C. Go and like it. Just 15 of you. Just help. Help me to get over 1,000. That's the easy mission you can do. But if you're willing, as a candidate, Pastor Stephen, come and join me. Just join me. I want you to look. Because today we're going to trust God for a community that's the last was touched by a family that moved into a little hotel to start services many, many years ago. And God is calling people like you to be light carriers, carriers of hope. There's many cities, many towns, many areas, suburbs are still so dark. It needs Jesus. It needs your commitment your life and say Lord I am a candidate to be a carrier of hope and life just raise your hand if you are a carrier I want to be a carrier maybe you need to translate because people might not know what I'm asking them I'm not asking them to move back to South Africa just help them they might think Lord he wants to ask if we're going to feed them for lunch no that's not what I'm asking if you are a carrier of hope just raise your hand Lord, I thank you for a multiplication anointing coming into this house. Many times I've prophesied, the seasons I've visited, prophesied that those who couldn't get pregnant will have babies the next time I see them. I now pray, Lord, that you will send spiritual babies into this house, that you you have the ability to release a seed of life in dark places and then Jennings will become the city of oil again a place where the atmosphere is changing in Jesus name Amen